0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Terry Talks podcast. I'm one of your hosts Clayton Terry
1: and I'm Ryan Terry
0: And today we will be talking about our top five albums of 2021 So last year we kind of combined everything into one general list So we talked about music we talked about video games and movies and everything and this year We're hoping to do at least this when compared to movies and video games. I think music is something All of us spent a lot of time in during 2021 as we were coming out of the pandemic slash still in it and whatnot but uh it was definitely a source of joy and sometimes uh sanity for me during this time uh ryan what was your like general experience listening to music this year uh it kind
1: of depended on what my personal life looked like at the time because i know for me i'm a very podcast heavy person when i'm at Mm -hmm. school um but if i'm If it's ever a break from school, that's when I get a lot of my album listening done. But yeah, after the pandemic, music was basically the only thing I could hold my attention to for uh, more than an hour. (laughs) And uh, I'm hoping that me and my friends have started watching TV shows again together. I've watched a movie here and there. So I'm hoping uh, to get back in the swing of things and start being able to really watch movies and talk about them more in this format. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was my experience with music generally.
0: I'd agree. It was for a lot, a lot of the year it felt like music was the main thing that could help hold my attention, but it also helped that it felt like we were starting to get, uh, music from a lot of artists, a lot of the big swingers, a lot of the artists that I personally care about. So that was super exciting. Maybe they were sitting on stuff, um, during 2020 and wanted to wait to release to a time when, being able to tour looked more feasible. I mean, it seems like things are still getting canceled at this point, but we'll see uh, what early 2022 looks like. So, yeah, music was definitely a very important aspect of uh, my life and my consuming of pop culture this past year. So,
1: yeah, and I want I want to mention that like this has been an incredible year for music, like mm-hmm. really amazing, and it's not a lot of. I don't know if there's been one album this year that I can say has had the impact on me or even on like society or the genre that it sits in that a T-pab has had or twin fantasy has had, um, Mm -hmm. or blonde, you know, but I think that the level of quality across the spectrum has been insane, especially from artists who I was not expecting to release great albums, whether it's their debut album or their last few albums were generally quite good and then they just totally knocked it out of the park with the album this year. It has been really hard to narrow this down. And it was really hard to narrow down like, all right, the year's coming to an end. What do I listen to? (laughs) Like, what do I catch up on that I missed? And so having, looking back on other people's lists, looking at um, just generally what, People have been saying about this artist or that has been super helpful for me and trying to round out my list to something I was happy with and I know for a fact that I'm going to listen to albums that came out this year and be like "Ugh, I wish that was I wish that was somewhere I wish I'd mentioned it but I just haven't yet so
0: oh same yeah I mean my analog is obviously movies right like we do the top 10 of the year and we've done that in the past and then by like June of the next year my list is completely different. There's like at least three to five new movies in it just because sometimes it's hard to fit everything in or in the case of movies, you don't have that like release date where it's actually available to see a near you until January or February maybe. So it's always like a constantly evolving uh, process, but I like that we're able to kind of get a snapshot of where we are right now and what music had the most impact on us, uh, while we're still fresh at the end of this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think Ryan, you had some albums kind of in the same tune that you've heard great things about that. Unfortunately you, and most likely both of us didn't get a chance to listen to just to kind of air those out to show why they didn't appear on our list. Maybe they would have.
1: Yeah. I just wrote the name of the artist down. Um, I figured that they deserve, uh, some love, especially with the buzz of some of these albums. Um, but again, we just haven't heard everything. And uh, I think the biggest one's Little Sims. Yeah, I, I imagine that album's going to be incredible when I do listen to it, but just haven't gotten to it. Uh, I also mm-hmm. had Paranol on here, who is this uh, South Korean shoegaze band that I've heard a couple songs from and that album. I have a feeling I'm going to really enjoy based on what I've heard. Uh, Injury Reserve... Sufjan Stevens, I actually I haven't heard that new album yet. I've only heard a handful of songs. And mm-hmm. those have all been great. Uh Genesis Owusu, Lucy Dacus, uh James Blake, Lingua Ignota, and I think I was pretty good. And Blue. Uh, I haven't heard the new Blue album. But otherwise, I think I think I'm pretty happy with my list.
0: Yeah, I'd say same. Of those Little Sims and James Blake are probably the ones that I I'm definitely going to listen to at some point in the next month and maybe would have been on my list. We'll see. But uh, yeah, I think we covered a decent breadth between the both of us. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so do you want me to get this thing rolling?
0: Yeah. Why don't we do that? You can start with your number five.
1: All right. My number five is Butterfly 3000 by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, which I feel like is a band that has sort of gained the same notoriety of like a tame Impala and where people who are fans of the band (laughs) think it's really indie and underground, and then they realize that everyone knows about them. Yes, exactly. But they still feel like this underground gem, just with how strange and how eclectic they can be. And, you know, if you don't like a King Gizzard album, they're going to release an album a month later that you're probably going to enjoy. So it's never that big of a deal if they miss. Um, Mm -hmm. But I, I will say with this new album, the... It was their 18th studio album, and the thing that makes this one different, because almost always they have a gimmick, is, uh, there's very little electric guitar. It's all, it's, they've got drums and bass, standard drums and bass, but a lot of acoustic guitars, a lot of MIDI sequencing, a lot of synthesizers, it sounds like, and this was a huge breath of fresh air for, uh, the band, especially coming off of, uh, KG and LW, which were their, uh microtonal set like the end of their microtonal trilogy
0: mm. and
1: at that point i thought those were decent albums especially kg i liked that quite a bit but i was just so sick of the microtonal like or not sick i was ready for them to move on to something else because yeah. I, I really enjoyed microtonal flying banana and i didn't feel like they needed to uh explore it as much as they did but if this is the result at the end of it i'm uh, very happy that they went in this direction and I believe like electric guitar only shows up in one song maybe two uh, mm-hmm. but yeah I have to say that this was a highlight for me at the be- in the earlier half of the year and I also feel like this got mixed reviews which I don't really understand because it's there's a lot of uh, ferocity in King Gizzard's sound mm-hmm. and they're able to like you know not always they can be a jam band and laid back and have a good time but there there's a lot of punch and a lot of grit in their sound but on this album it just felt very joyous like i believe Stu, the uh lead songwriter had just had a kid and that like joy for life and that happiness really oozes off of this album in a way that none of their other albums really have and i find that so captivating and i think uh Yours and Catching Smoke are two big highlights for me
0: off this record. Yeah, I love this album as well. It was definitely in heavy rotation for me towards the beginning of the year. Uh, Made my honorable mentions list, not quite my top five. It'd probably be number, it'd be within the top eight, I'd say. Uh, But yeah, like er just echo everything you said. I love King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, and this felt like one of the more unique, uh, joyous, kind of albums of theirs i didn't know that about the electric guitar that's really interesting
1: yeah and it was a it was a really nice change of pace because i don't ex- you know i don't know if they'll ever have a, a kid a where they just totally change genres completely um yeah. at least outside of the rock sphere if this is as far as they will they're going to go with that then it's you know the acoustic guitars sound lovely it still sounds sort of lo-fi and mm-hmm. uh not not it it sort of sounds like it sounds like a king gizzard album it sounds rough it sounds like uh i know that a lot of the recording was done from home so Mm -hmm. i so i imagine that's where some of it came from but for it to for to have that production on these like more poppy catchy uh acoustic guitar and synth led songs is really exciting especially because the drummer is playing as uh ferociously as ever (laughs) and that's that's a um a really nice combination
0: awesome well that's Butterfly 3000 by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard that's Ryan's number five so moving into my number five that would be Montero by Lil Nas X this is the debut studio album by Lil Nas X it was released in September of this year almost everyone I'm sure has heard the lead single Montero parentheses Call Me By Your Name Um, yeah, I just, Lil Nas X was always someone who I appreciated who he was, but I didn't really enjoy the music that he made. That is until he got to this album. Uh, it's much darker than I had originally expected it would be based on the lead single. Um, and I actually ended up really appreciating that it starts in kind of this joyous celebratory, uh, way but then it kind of moves into more more of a darker and more sad place which I thought was interesting because a lot of the narrative albums that I've always enjoyed um, namely like Kanye stuff he starts in that dark place and then reaches some sort of salvation this was kind of a move backwards and just following the story of Lil Nas X kind of establishing his identity with um, Montero which I believe is his real name his uh given name and kind of as people try and change him he wavers in accepting his queer identity they want him to make another hit like old town road he begins to lose himself and just kind of that constant questioning uh so even though the album narrative itself goes into that darker place i think the fact that he was able to birth this which feels so him so um unique to his uh, life experiences and his personal identity, I think, is in some way a testament to his creativity and hopefully a win for him. But, yeah, it was a much more mature album than I expected uh, from Lil Nas X, and I'm really looking forward to seeing where he goes next with this. Ryan, you, did you have a chance to check this out?
1: I did, I did. I checked out... Uh, we set our list beforehand and checked out everything we hadn't already listened to. And I was... I'd also always liked Lil Nas X. I never loved him. Like, when on 7, um, the EP he released beforehand. I always liked him. I, I thought his personality, was, or his uh, persona, his public persona, was a lot of fun. And uh, the twists and turns that it takes are uh, breathtaking. Especially for an artist born and bred on the internet. Yeah. And I think people were going to be quick to write him off. After Old Town Mm -hmm. Road. I don't think because Old Town Road is a bad song. But because it just felt like. It was a TikTok hit. It was a little gimmicky. It had the. Oh god. Uh, Billy Ray Cyrus
0: (laughs) connection. The dad.
1: Yeah. And it was so easy to just look at that. And be like can this guy. uh, Like hold his own. In the. In the pop field. But I think this album goes beyond the pop field. I think this album is. Uh, very good and shows that he's capable of crafting a cohesive project or a cohesive album and not reliant on these two and a half minute singles these two minute singles that feel like tiktok songs like montero it's short it's two minutes and 18 seconds but it's fantastic and it doesn't waste a second uh i was i haven't liked when when i heard that i was just really blown away by how uh gaudy <laughs> and extra the production was by how interesting the chords were it was just such a fresh of breath air especially because i feel like pop music has been leaning towards this sort of darker moodier billy eilish direction which isn't a bad thing but this was like this was big this reminded me of like 2010s early 2010s hip-hop <laughs> like <laughs> like uh uh watch the throne
0: yeah yeah, Kind of like it, glam hip-hop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and
1: it's it's got hooks for days. It very tastefully balances the um, pop and trap aesthetics with some more hard rock ideas that he's bringing in. And the lyrical content is very personal, and he's clearly mining some deep places to uh, explore that, which is new territory for him. And I'm very excited to see what he does next. I liked this album quite a bit. Uh, the singles are standouts, of course, Montero and Industry Baby. But I also really loved Lost in the Citadel. Yep. That was a big highlight. And then the closer with Miley Cyrus, uh, Am I Dreaming, is such a, a lovely and quaint way to end the album. It, like, you're mm-hmm. expecting it to explode, and then it doesn't, and it just sort of dissipates into this, uh, I believe it's a stream sample, <laughs> just running water, <laughs> and it's it's yeah. really lovely.
0: Yeah, I feel like Void um, is sort of the emotional climax of the narrative. And then you kind of have that come down, like uh, ending with that Miley Cyrus song. It Just the whole conception of it and the whole execution, I really appreciate. I also love um, That's What I Want and Sun Goes Down. I think Sun Goes Down was on the EP before this. But those and Montero were probably my three favorite songs off this album. Mm-hmm. And he's clearly commenting
1: on his own. Uh, fame, his own, the way that the industry views him and people like him and it's it's liberating. It feels like a very liberating album.
0: Oh, definitely, yeah. And he's talked about that, so very happy for him, very excited to see what the future holds for his music and him as a kind of celebrity in this modern era.
1: Alright, is that, uh, oh, it's me next.
0: (laughs) It's you next, number four.
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I went with For My Mama and Anyone Who look Like Her by McKinley Dixon, and this is his third studio album, and for the life of me, I cannot find that much information on him, because this album had the most popular songs that have like 50,000 views, or 50,000 listens, and everything I know about him is from his Bandcamp page, Uh, and I found this album just... uh through this youtuber i follow named mike the snare who does a lot of music retrospectives and album review stuff and he did this little section in one of his videos where he went back and talked about old albums that i missed this year and he shouted out this one and was like this is one of the best albums i've heard this year and Mm -hmm. uh he compared it to artists like kendrick lamar and other people who worked on uh t pab like thundercat and whatnot and I was like, oh, well, I need to listen to this now <laughs> with such high praise. And I don't, I don't want to be too—the uh, t pab comparison is a little fair, but also I don't want to compare every jazz rap album to t pab It feels yeah. uh, reductive. But the album—I think the, the bigger thing, the comparison—the bigger part of the comparison is that this album focuses on uh, racial, societal, and familial trauma— that comes with being black in America. And he just so poetically brings out this narrative of what it was like for him growing up, and especially in his family trauma, and how uh, systemic problems have forced this sort of uh, trauma cycle that existed within his family. And Mm -hmm. that's the main... um, Narrative going on on my favorite track here, "Protective Styles," uh, but he also talks about the expectations put on him uh, as being a part of these structures on "Chain So Heavy." Uh, never will, never will know is a fantastic track. Sort of feels like the lead single off of this album, mm-hmm. and yeah, the, I'm so I hope that this album gives him way more exposure than it currently is. I mean, it's it's obviously gotten more exposure than his first two albums which is exciting, but yeah, he deserves to be in the upper echelons, I believe, and I, I cannot wait to see where he goes after this. It is extremely exciting to see someone so, so young and so relatively unknown be so uh, confident in his delivery mm-hmm. and in his uh, lyrics, and the production is stellar. The production sounds like it could rival a Top Dog album. I do not know yeah. how much money went into this thing, but it is brilliantly orchestrated. The instrumentals are gorgeous and like melodic ideas that he sings and um, and that capture the themes of the album, then pop up in the orchestration, like how the melody and protective styles then becomes the cello and then it becomes the bass line. Oh, it's gorgeous.
0: Yeah. I listened to this album today uh, after seeing it on your list and I absolutely love, love this album. I feel like if I had heard it earlier and spent more of the year listening to it, it definitely could have been in my top five uh, pretty easily. I definitely agree with all of the To Pimp a Butterfly comparisons that you're making. I agree that it's not really fair to um, compare everything that sounds even a little bit like jazz hip-hop to that album, uh, because in some ways that's kind of bad expectation setting, but definitely similar vibe, and it's hard to get away from that. Uh, Protective Styles, the song you mentioned that I think you've played for me before. This listen through, it actually like kind of made me pretty emotional, just like was driving at this point And I was just like, damn, this, it, this album really got to me. But I think that song in particular um, resonated with me on a re-listen. And then also the last song, Twist My Hair, even though the whole album is dealing with these very challenging themes about like you've mentioned, generational racism and how you pass trauma on. Uh, it also, in the context of that, it creates a sonic world um, through its very strong production that you were just mentioning. It creates a sonic world that I actually really enjoy inhabiting. So, and that's another thing with TPAP is the material is really dark, but the musicality of it is so, just so beautiful. And it really draws you in and makes you want to sit and just appreciate what you're listening to. Mm-hmm.
1: I think that's something that may, like makes this album easier to listen to is because it's it's really gorgeous and it doesn't sound yeah. the instrumentation isn't dark at all. It's just it's not it's not joyous. It almost has this melancholic feeling to it. Um, mm-hmm. But especially on songs like "Never Will Know," it's like it's just bouncy and it's hooky and it so easily gets stuck in your head. I think my only complaint with this album is I do think it's a little front heavy. Uh, I do think this, uh, the first half's a little better, but I feel like that, that was a problem throughout this whole year. I'll probably say that about a few more albums on my list. So
0: That's interesting. Yeah, I could definitely see that being a trend for uh, 2021. So is that my turn for my number four? I think so. So, my number four is An Evening with Silk Sonic by Silk Sonic. So, this is the collaboration between Anderson .Paak, who I'm a huge fan of, and Bruno Mars, who, his music has entered and left my life at various points. Um, no real ill will, but it never really clicked with me in the same way that this collaboration did. Both of them are just incredibly talented the joke is always that Anderson Pock has the smoothest flow in the game, and the more I hear him sing, the more I realize that that is 100% true. The main singles off this were Leave the Door Open and Skate, which are both amazing. On top of that, you also had 777 and Fly As Me, which were another two of my favorite songs. Uh, in particular, Fly As is Me, is, that's been in heavy rotation during this latter half of the year. Something about just... The whole construction of this very, very tight, very uh, well contained thirty-minute album. I th- I think it's the only album this year where after listening to it, I immediately like put it back on and just started listening to it again through. It is it's so fun and so uh, so enjoyable to go through. Um, it's short enough to
1: do that with.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It's it leaves you wanting more.
1: Hmm. I thought I thought this album was great. This album was easily on my honorable mentions. Uh, It felt bad when I had to knock it off. Uh, Yeah. But I think a lot of people, when the first couple singles came out, were victims of expectation. Where they were like, they wanted this album. Because what Silk Sonic do, and what uh, both Bruno Mars and Her back do, is they're so indebted to the soul and funk styles of the 70s and 80s. And they Mm -hmm. replicate it so well. And they're so charismatic while doing it. And it's like, it's like you essentially just rip these songs from those era, put a new sheen, new beautiful production sheen on it and put it back out. And that is exactly what people were expecting. And because it was exactly what people were expecting, people were disappointed, which is really silly because it's like (laughs) these songs are such good pastiches of what they are. Of course, it's not just pastiches, but like in what they were trying to do, they nailed it a hundred percent. And I don't think my expectations were much higher than just a, a great uh, soul Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack album. And so yeah. what I got, I was super happy with. Uh, but I know some people were uh, sort of expecting this to be a little more than it was, which I think is unfair. But yeah, no, Leave the Door Open is a good enough song that they played it everywhere they showed up. Uh, I think Skate <laughs> was my favorite song off this album. Uh, that mm. it's just so infectious and so much fun and then spoken out the window and after last night as well like Thundercat and Bootsy collins any song with those two on it is going to be incredible in my book
0: oh 100 yeah that's interesting i hadn't heard that about kind of the expectations setting but i could see that uh because these two are so talented and so popular uh that you almost are doomed to have that kind of high expectations but yeah the Set out to do something pretty specific, and I think we both would agree that they a hundred percent nailed it with this uh, album.
1: Yeah, not to not to reference them again, but uh, that same YouTuber Mike the Snare when he talked about this album, he was like, "I can't help it. I want exactly what I expect, and I expect to be surprised every time." <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah, it was, uh, that sort of was the feeling. Also, it's super short, but because of that, it's such a tight listen. There's no there's no cracks. There's no filler. It's just great tune after great tune. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, if you haven't checked this out yet, I don't know if you've been if you've been around in 2021.
0: Yeah, it's hard to imagine someone who hasn't heard "Leave the Door Open" uh, yet, but uh, the whole album's great. So definitely check it out if you're only familiar with one or two of the singles off of it.
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely. All right, so that makes my next album probably top three. Yeah, one of the more peculiar listens. <laughs> <laughs> i found this year was uh bright green field which is the debut album by squid and i should mention also i think two albums on my list came out on the same day <laughs> hold on yep yeah, this and uh the mckinley dixon album came out on the same day
0: oh wow that's cool
1: yeah uh this has been an incredible year for post-rock and post-punk uh, mm-hmm. there has been black midi uh dry cleaning squid another band i'm not mentioning because maybe they're later on my list Um, (laughs) but yeah it's there's just been explosion of rock music this year especially from bands that were either where it was either their sophomore release or they were just popping out and just blew expectations away and this was one of them uh bright greenfield by squid it is a harrowing listen uh Eleven tracks, fifty-four minutes long, and most of, and a good chunk of these tracks are over seven minutes. Mm-hmm. And it's just the way that the band contrasts sections between these angular, uh, horrific, um, punky, dancey monstrosities with these really quiet and really ambient guitar, like arpeggiated guitar-led uh, themes and. It, it just makes every song so exciting to me. I never know where it's going to go. And I think that the best example of that is Narrator, which is the third track off the album and the lead single. This thing is the best song on the album, I think. It is unhinged, especially by the end, when it's just this freak out, noise, feedback, screaming. <laughs> like, but But it contrasts this with this sort of creepy, moody, spoken word section from the featuring artist Martha Skye Murphy. And when they play it live, it is not the same without her. Mm. And it just, it's so infectious. It's so weird and off the wall. JS Key was another big highlight. And then the last two song, the songs, Global Groove and Pamphlets. And then my, my complaint for this album is instead of being top heavy, I feel like the middle weekends a little bit. Like I'm not too... Like I think Documentary Filmmaker is cool, but I don't feel like it goes anywhere. Uh Yeah. And then like 2010 20, 20, and flyover are good, but I don't remember them very strongly. And then it ends on a really strong note. So that's my that's my quick review of this album. I was really blown away. I when I first heard narrator, I was like, okay, well I have to listen to this album before the year ends.
0: Yeah, um I listened to this one as well and it didn't really wasn't really my cup of tea. I'm I'm starting to think what genre did you say? This is like post punk. Yeah, post punk,
1: or... post rock. Probably more post punk.
0: Yeah, I'm starting to think maybe that genre is just not for me because I keep hearing that term thrown around albums I haven't been crazy about. <laughs> yeah. But I definitely appreciated kind of the rage that I felt like was really palpable in this album, um and the song "Paddling" too. I ended up liking and pamphlets too. Uh, mm. Definitely some standout songs, but as a whole, it wasn't really my jam, I would say.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, these are, I mean, they're difficult listens, like, Mm -hmm. sort of intentionally. So they're meant to be obtuse. And I feel like, for me, one of the biggest draws was just, I love the singer's voice. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's very David Burney to me. It's like half-spoken, and he's got these wild inflections that I find... So much fun. And he's actually the drummer. So he's singing and drumming when they play live. And I don't know how he does it. Yeah, it's really cool.
0: I definitely get the David Byrne comparison, now that you say that. Mm -hmm.
1: But yeah, I I was uh, quite
0: quite enjoyed this one. (laughs) Awesome. So that was Bright Green Field by Squid. That was Ryan's number three. Moving into my number three. So I would say getting my numbers four and five was really difficult. Like I listened to, I re-listened to a lot of music to try and figure out what exactly I wanted my four and five to be. And I kept moving things around. Um, Some of my honorable mentions, which we'll talk about at the end, came and went from these top, the bottom two spots in my top five. But my top three was pretty much set as soon as we decided to do this podcast episode. Um, So I'm very excited to get into the top three. And to hear Ryan talk about his as well. My number three is The House is Burning by Isaiah Rashad. Do you know if I'm saying that right, Ryan? Uh, Rashad? Thanks, Rashad. Isaiah Rashad? hmm So this was recommended to me by Ethan a long time ago, like early in the year, maybe middle of the year. And this is another sort of jazz-infused hip-hop album, and I just cannot recommend it enough. Uh Anyone who's been listening to this podcast for a while or knows uh, me or Ethan or Ryan know that we're all huge Kendrick fans, and I've really missed Kendrick. It's been definitely a hole not having any new albums from him since April of 2017, but clearly uh, Top Dog, T.D.E., is in really good hands with um, Isaiah Rashad because this album is just beyond anything i could have expected it was one of the three albums that i was listening to uh kind of on repeat i would throw it on while making dinner or while driving around if i wasn't listening to podcasts some of my favorite songs off it i mean i'm looking at my list and i wrote down like it seems like almost every song but (laughs) dark side from the garden headshots all herb uh the j rock verse on true story is amazing um, score with SZA, basically anything SZA's on I'm gonna enjoy, and then HB2U, which closes out the album and honestly might be my favorite closer of the year. I really really enjoy that song. Yeah, I think just everything about this album is kind of my type of music, what I'm looking for, and especially filling that hole that might be left by Kendrick. Not to say that he isn't his own um, very talented musician. He isn't shackled to uh, the head of TDE in any way, but yeah, highly recommend.
1: Yeah, I um, I also quite enjoyed this album. I listened to it probably an hour and a half ago.
0: There you go. <laughs> but I had
1: heard um, a handful of songs like "True Story" and "Headshots" beforehand, and I think that. Well, I will say at first, Isaiah Rashad is an album is an artist that I've been meaning to check out for a while. He's sort of one of the few artists in the TDE roster that I'm not super familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was very excited going into this one. And I think at first, I wasn't really crazy about the first uh, couple songs. I thought they were good, but I, I it felt really um, mellow and laid back, mm-hmm. uh, which wasn't necessarily what I was expecting. And then by Claymore, that was when I the album really picked up for me. And I really yeah. started to enjoy it, especially True Story. You already mentioned it, but I liked that song a lot. And The Closer is great. Uh, there's a turn halfway through that is super infectious and like really mm-hmm. exciting mm-hmm. when it happens. And yeah, this album deserves another listen for me, but definitely the the stretch in the middle of like Claymore to uh, Don't Shoot, I enjoyed it a lot.
0: Yeah, I never really thought about it being kind of... Backloaded? Is that a term you said yeah. front-loaded? <laughs> yeah, why not? Um, yeah, a lot of the songs I just listed are kind of towards the back of the album, out with the exception of Dark Side. So I could definitely see what you're saying there. I, I enjoy listening to the whole thing, but like From the Garden, that probably feels like the most unique song off this album. So I could see where you're coming from.
1: Yeah, I liked the production a lot. It was, like, pretty understated. Mm-hmm like it always felt like it could have gone a little further but it was purposely holding back and i think yeah. that lets isaiah shine above it mhm especially when you get producers like kenny beats on it and then it's like of course they're gonna of course they're gonna do what they do mhm i love kenny beats
0: yeah maybe it's just a top dog thing because his previous album the sun's tirade which is also really good that came out in 2016 so this is a 5 year gap for him so <laughs> and songs they just they sit on music. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. I mean when you're I mean when you were pretty much the reigning uh, record label for the last half of the 2010s, you really don't need to be in a rush.
0: Yeah, that's definitely true. All right. So that was my number three. Now we're into top two.
1: My number two is Jubilee by Japanese Breakfast. This is the third studio album. Uh, Japanese Breakfast is an uh, indie rock, indie pop group led by uh, Michelle Zahner. And this album was made after she had taken a break from music. She had wor- written a memoir and her mom had passed away. Mm-hmm. And when she came back to record this album she, with her band, she said that she wanted to make a more joyous, a more poppy album. And so her work is before this was pretty uh, pretty shoegazy, as far as I understand. Hmm. I haven't heard both of the albums, but I've heard a song here or there, and it uh, it was certainly more guitar driven. And with this album, she takes a turn into alternative pop, dream pop, and I loved it, like mm-hmm. from the first song, like hearing the the drum rolls and the lyrics about a. Uh, here, I'm going to pull up the lyrics while I'm describing it, but it just instantly pulled me in. And she has this really fantastic way of writing where she she sort of envelops you in the world she's in. And she speaks about things so, so vividly. And I guess it makes sense that she's a writer. One of my favorite uh, lines on this uh, opening track is... Uh, projecting your visions to strangers who feel it who listen, who listen who linger on every word which is like i imagine such an apt way to put the very strange experience of being a well-known musician in the 20, Damn, in the 21st yeah. century or just ever mm-hmm. and yeah this thing is just filled with great hooks great choruses the production is clean as hell i think the horn arrangements especially is something that Stuck out to me immediately. It's so, uh, it's so well layered and so well orchestrated. Uh, some big highlights for me were Paprika, Be Sweet, and then I remember enjoying, uh, posing in Bondage and posing for Cars a lot as well. And in Hell, which is a, a pretty dark, everything in, before that point in the album is pretty, uh, hopeful, but that's a darker turn into, imagining what it's like to live on after someone you've loved has passed away mm-hmm. and that's a that's a rough song but it's it's just it when she said that she wanted to bring more joy out of her music which is apparently something I really needed this year um <laughs> that was she absolutely nailed it it's a gorgeous record and I highly recommend
0: it yeah I this Listening to it after it was on your list is the first time I'd heard it. The first time I had even heard of this artist, uh, Japanese Breakfast, which is an amazing title. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Um, I just really, really enjoyed this. I feel like we keep using the word infectious, um, Mm. but I would also ascribe that to this album. Uh, Just very listenable, even though it does have some of those darker songs. I definitely picked up on what you're talking about with uh, In Hell, and then also... Posing in Bondage and Posing for Cars are also two songs I highlight. I highlighted on top of a slide tackle, which I thought was a really great, fun song. Yeah, I like the song a lot. Yeah, I think this album is a testament to why I like doing podcast episodes like this is because I don't think I ever would have listened to an album like this on my own. So listening to it to talk about it with you, and then hopefully our listeners can hear this and listen on their own. Just really great recommendations I hope and uh really grateful for this opportunity to hear some things that are a little outside of my usual uh listening circle my usual Spotify wrapped
1: yeah absolutely and it was nice to finally uh for the um like Isaiah Rashad album and uh the ones coming up it was really nice to finally get um to check out albums that had been on my list for a while and have an excuse to do it in a with you and in a format that works I will also say before we uh Leave on this album that the last three minutes of Posing for Cars rips into this fuzzy, crazy guitar solo, and it is such a good climactic closer for the album. It works so well, and yeah, I think this thing is absolutely worth a listen. I noticed that my albums tended to be a bit on the shorter side, but maybe that was just in the... I guess it's just this and Barfly 3000, but maybe that was just the mood I was in.
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i mean evening with silk sonic was pretty short i don't know about the rest of them cool so that was jubilee by japanese breakfast ryan's number two my number two is if this isn't nice i don't know what is by still woozy so still woozy is the stage name of sven eric gamsky um he's an american singer and songwriter He, this is his debut album, so he's had a few singles in the past, but this is the first full studio album, and it was recommended to me by uh, Nick Bova, who's been on this podcast many a times, um, will likely be on many times in the future, and kind of like The House is Burning, this is one of the albums that was just on repeat uh, throughout my entire year, honestly. I feel like every song is sort of a chill banger that just works perfect in the background or even when you're trying to focus um innately on the music and whatnot uh there are some songs that sort of pull at your heartstrings as well namely kenny uh stands out to me but overall this album just kind of makes me want to create a john hughes-esque movie with this exclusively as the soundtrack, you know? Like, kind of have the soundtrack first and then make a movie around it because it definitely puts me into a very specific mood that I ended up really resonating with this year. Uh, some of my favorite songs include some of the singles, including um, Window, I believe that was yeah, one of the yeah. singles. It was. But also uh, Wolf, Rocky, Kenny, like I mentioned, and WTF. Uh, WTF being one of my most played songs of the year, actually. So cannot recommend this album enough. Another one that seems like maybe not underground, but maybe less listened to than uh, some of the other ones we've talked about, than, say, Montero or anything with Silk Sonic. So definitely worth uh, checking this one out.
1: Yeah, I uh, I also just listened to this today. Um, I've had a few friends recommend Still woozy to me. I know he's more of a singles artist, so they were just throughout songs. Uh, but this was mm-hmm. the first time I finally sat down and gave him a listen. And I quite enjoyed it. I don't know if it's an album I will return to as a whole very often, but I added a lot mm-hmm. of songs on my playlist. And I feel like every time it's going to pop up, I'm going to be like, oh, why don't I return to that? Um, yeah, I think The Opener Wolf was a standout, Window, Kenny, and then The Closer these days. I also enjoyed yeah. it quite a bit. And then WTF reminded me of a 21 Pilots song. So that was uh, <laughs> not surprising that you liked this so much, I guess. Um,
0: yeah, it kind of transports me back to that era of music listening of, like, summer of 2015 into 2016, uh, that whole time period.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the things that I find really exciting, um, which may be, like, Mac DeMarco is the figurehead for this movement, but... Um, I see a lot of these bed, like the, they're often categorized as bedroom pop uh, <laughs> artists, yeah. where it's artists that have, um, like Rex Orange County also comes to mind, uh, Paul Cherry, where they, it's one, it's one person, they produce, they mix, they play every instrument, they write everything by themselves, and then they just release it on like Bandcamp and maybe a streaming service, it's sometimes not. Mm-hmm. But, but most of the time uh, on a streaming service, and it's like, it's something that can only exist now. And, mm-hmm. and that is really exciting to me, the fact that these artists can just create with such little restrictions and do whatever they want with it. And like more often than not, they get signed to some indie label and then they're able to get some degree of press because of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, it's very exciting. I'm super happy that albums like this are able to exist.
0: Yeah, and I usually don't gravitate towards bedroom pop, as we talked about with um, some of your friends on our Ranking the Albums. Mac DeMarco has never been someone that I've able to really click with. I've listened to like three or four of his albums at this point, and the one Evan recommended ended up being my favorite of those. Uh, I forget what it was. Oh, uh, this whole dog. Yes.
1: Yeah. I, that's also my favorite. I enjoy that album quite a bit.
0: Yeah, but something about Still Woozy, maybe it's his voice, maybe it's the whole production, but it was uh, definitely one of my favorites of the year as, as it turned out my second favorite <laughs> <laughs> and with that we're at our number one
1: my number one uh, I do a drum roll but I think there's too much room noise that it would just be annoying oh thank you uh, my <laughs> number one is for the first time by Black Country New just just don't built like they used to be the absolute pinnacle British engineering. But I'm so now with all I've learned. This is the album I excluded. This is the band I excluded from my post-rock rant earlier. <laughs> and it was also, I think, one of the first new albums I'd heard this year. That had come out this year. It was such a incredible listen the first time i i I genuinely had no clue what this band was what they were doing luke just just sent one of the songs to me and i had seen some buzz go around about it i was like all right i gotta check it out and it blew me away the thing is six songs long uh, 40 minutes ish and and, uh, like the songs range from like four and a half minutes to almost 10 minutes in length it is an incredibly versatile record. This band has like guitar, keyboards, violin, sax, uh, bass, and drums, and they find new and creative ways to use each instrument in every song. Especially the, it's been pointed out often that the first track instrumental and the last track opus are very klezmer and like inspired by Jewish uh, traditional like Jewish folk music, mm-hmm. and the way that. Oh, the sax is just abrasive as hell on these songs. It's incredible, and it's so, like, it makes me want to eat a drumstick and pour rum (laughs) down my stomach as we're going to battle. Science Fair is this really weird, like, uh, villain origin story about an embarrassing event that happened at the narrator's science fair. (laughs) <laughs> and it's like I totally buy into the fact that this guy is going to like this is a life-altering event for him Athens France lyrics are just it's the first taste of lyrics we get on this album and uh Isaac Wood the lead singer has such an interesting and strange use of the of the English language it's so British and it's so uh <laughs> it's so self-aware it's, he, he loves to sort of, like, bring these, like, high art, con- these low arts like, references and these high art concepts. And it's, like, in, in Sunglasses at the end when he's yelling, leave Kanye out of this. It's, it has <laughs> yeah. so much. And I, I'll, I'll say um, Sunglasses is my favorite track of the year. It was just so surprising the first time I heard it, especially when it switches in the middle to this, like, weird groovy dance song and again the sax is just wailing on one note it's super hard bobby it's incredible and the lyrics about um being wrapped away in a high-tech uh translucent fortress and no one can touch him. It. It's so yeah. uh, there's this little thing they do i think they do it, i think it, they do a lot or maybe it's just in the studio version but when he goes and the cars are going beep 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 the beats line up with him uh, it's <laughs> there's so much attention to detail and it's very surprising to me that this is an, a debut album like this band sounds so uh, forward thinking and ahead of the curve already and then track X is the first song I heard by them and that is just a gorgeous song to me it's super personal, there's no percussion uh, all these different polyrhythmic sections are coming in and out with this guitar line staying the whole time and then it ends with this like a little arpeggio that the keyboard is doing—it's really captivating, and it shows that they are capable of being really gorgeous as well, and crafting these sort of minimalist soundscapes. And yeah, I can't—I can't speak enough praise for this album. I sort of knew when I first listened to it that it would be, if not my favorite album of the year, then top two, top three.
0: Yeah, I definitely need to return to this album a few more times because I don't think I've quite cracked it. I really enjoy hearing you talk about it, and it sounds almost like the musician's ultimate album with (laughs) uh, all the attention to to detail that you mentioned, but that's amazing that this is their debut album. I feel like there is so much confidence in what they're doing, and yeah, definitely forward thinking and innovative, like you've been saying.
1: Black Midi was around beforehand, and they were like, they had made their music weird and went blasted out onto the scene i was like well this is a band this is a band to follow but black country was the first band in this scene and then this aesthetic sort of coming back where i heard it and i thought like oh these guys are like these guys are storytellers like these guys are going beyond what the others in their genre are trying to do not that i think that this band is better than black mini or whatever it just i i noticed what uh, they were trying to do especially in the lyrics like i noticed what they were trying to do and it was so fascinating and just with the crushing song lengths it's like they are ambitious as hell and they're here to stay
0: yeah like i said definitely need to return to this and i did really enjoy the uh, opening track instrumental even on just a first lesson but uh after you speak so highly of sunglasses and opus and everything i Uh, realize how badly I need to go back to this album and kind of pick it apart
1: yeah I think if there's two songs to check out it's sunglasses and track track x that's me personally I think like you'll see you'll see the sunglasses runtime you'll think oh god (laughs) and then it will melt away when it gets to the uh four minute mark and you'll realize that it's one of the best things you've ever heard in your life (laughs) <laughs> also like the intro I don't know how the second part relates to the first part at all but the intro is like him describing this like boring ass domestic life where he imagines himself as the father of this girl he's obsessed with and he's just glued to the t- TV <laughs> and he just can't stop watching daytime British television it's so weird but it's so captivating
0: yeah and it resonated with a lot of people because it's uh towards the top of many websites or many friends i have that are musicians all of your friends towards the top of their list for the year
1: oh yeah i think sunglasses especially was the standout track where a lot of them was like well is one of the best songs of the year
0: yeah yeah definitely well that was for the first time by black country new road moving into my number one so if the top three was easy to pick the number one was a given Uh, almost it sounds like Ryan was in the same boat all of my top five songs for this year are from this album um, when I got my Spotify wrapped and probably not surprising many people it's call me if you get lost by Tyler the creator Tyler is someone I casually followed basically until the dissect season where they talked about flower boy And ever since then I've been absolutely hooked. He was my number one artist last year, number two, I think, this year. He's a hundred percent moving to the beat of his own drum. And it is so refreshing and enjoyable. Just his pure authentic self and the worlds he's planning to create and has already created with all of his albums have just been immaculate and unlike anything else. And call me if you get lost is no different. This tells the story kind of flipped from Igor (laughs) of him falling in love with his best friend's girlfriend and how that essentially implodes. So you have a lot of more personal songs on this album. Um, I think of Massa where he opens up about how his mom was in a homeless shelter at the time where he really broke out with Yonkers. And then you also have um, more kind of, let's say, hype songs, where uh, you have like Run It Up, um, Juggernaut, and Corso, which I almost made a conscious decision for that to be my number one song of the year. I listened to it, I think, 22 times. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, and it's under three minutes. So I just, I needed more of it, but... Every Everything about this album and kind of the wanderlust that it instills in its listeners to um, go out and see the world and meet people and fall in love and get your heart broken, it's just delivered with some of the most um, interesting uh, musicality that is currently going on in hip-hop. And he also he proves he can still rap, too, which I love, with songs like Juggernaut, and um and corso as well it shows that he can he can kind of do it all he can give you a song like sweet slash i thought you wanted to dance and he can do um what originally made him famous when he was with uh odd future so i could ramble on about this album for a very long time uh Ryan, did you just listen to this recently or did you hear this back when it came out?
1: No, I heard it when it came out. This is uh, six of five. <laughs> this is just oh, barely. Oh, okay. This is just barely off the list for me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I I do really love this album. Tyler, like Igor, was my favorite album of that year when it came out. Oh, yeah. So I, this is someone I, I started following around the time Igor came out. And I was... This is one of the more anticipated albums, uh, for the, of the year. And when it came down to this or Butterfly three thousand, I just sort of returned to Butterfly three thousand more often, uh, mm-hmm. which was essentially the deciding factor at the end. But yeah, what's your name? Lumberjack, uh, Sweet is Sweet slash I Thought You Wanted to Dance is up there and one of my favorite songs of the year. And then uh, sure. Juggernaut and Wilshire as well. Uh, oh, and Manifesto, I love that song. Um, but yeah, this felt like Igor was a very personal, uh, listen and a very, um, towering listen. It dominated the year it came out. So, so when this album came out, it felt like a victory lap in some ways. Mm -hmm. Like it felt like he was, uh, returning to his roots and proving that he's still, he's still number one. Uh, yeah. And as much as I love Igor and, and uh, Flower Boy, it's nice to see that his macho and his uh, prowess as a uh, a hip-hop artist come back a little bit.
0: Yeah. I feel like it's really refreshing because he had kind of that macho bravado that you're talking about in his earlier work, and then he took a turn with Flower Boy and Igor, and he was really vulnerable and opened up a lot about how he's in the ways he's been struggling. And there's some of that on this album, but in for the most part, he's in a really good place right now. And he talks about that in interviews, you know, sun beaming, skin glowing is always <laughs> uh, something he says. And he decided to be honest, just like he was honest with the past two albums and talk about that emotion. And I, I just think it's really special. Like it, it's getting his listeners to uh, fill out their passports and travel themselves, you know?
1: Yeah, no, it's a very um. it feels like a freeing album for him as well. Definitely. It feels like he finally gets to like, sort of leave old Tyler behind, and he can truly do whatever he wants now. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, production from people like Jamie XX or Jamie XX, and you have DJ Drama hosting the whole thing, which is such a blast. Uh, yeah, so fun. Yeah, no, this album, this album's pretty one of my favorite hip hop albums of the year. I very much enjoyed it. If we were doing a top ten list, it would be
0: somewhere on there, assuredly. Mm -hmm. yeah much like many of your albums for me but such is life maybe we'll just quickly run through some of our honorable mentions um ryan i don't know if you want to go first
1: another one another one that was right really hard for me to cut was uh lowe's um hey what which was Mm. this experimental noise rock album very little percussion it's a lot of distorted guitars, some gospel in- influence in there. That was a great album. Days Like These, it was a part- particular highlight. And the way that it uses these samples and the way that it makes it sounds otherworldly. It sounds so industrial. I really enjoyed that. It's not a listen for everyone, but if you like Nine Inch Nails or any other more heavy industrial artists, you'll like this. Uh, Pharoah Sanders... Uh, floating points in the london symphony orchestra released this like nine movement orchestral piece jazz-influenced orchestral piece with electronic elements and it's gorgeous and it's not su- it's the type of thing i feel like i have to listen to as a whole so definitely keep that in mind but that was a big highlight a new artist i checked out from niger named uh ndu maktar who was this incredible guitarist Uh, He released an album called "Afric Victim," which is pretty heavily about uh, the colonization of West Africa. Mm -hmm. And that was great. That was a great album. They're signed to Matador, and I'm so glad that (laughs) Matador picked them up because it was fantastic. And I think those are the highlights for me in terms of album releases. And and then obviously the stuff you've mentioned. So Title of the Creator and... Um, Silk Sonic would definitely be on my list somewhere.
0: Great. That's a lot of, uh, albums I have to check out now myself. I hadn't heard of most of those. So real quick, before I do my honorable mentions, just a couple things that you might be wondering why they're missing, why there are omissions in this category, but I didn't count anything from movies because I'm hoping all my favorite movie soundtracks I'm going to talk about in the movie episode. So I don't even want to give away, which... Albums might have fit into this list if I didn't exclude those. Also, Mac Miller's Faces—they remastered that and re-released that, and that's amazing. But that came out—I don't know when exactly—but that album obviously didn't come out in 2021. It's kind of Mac Miller's back catalog. So, getting those out of the way, my honorable mentions—I'll start with, with what is probably my number six for the year, and that's Roadrunner, New Light, New Machine by Brockhampton. This album tackles kind of grief and uh, both on a personal level, because one of the band members lost their father, um, but also on a grand scale and what we've been going through during 2020 and 2021 with this pandemic. It's really great. Most important boy band out there right now, <laughs> Brockhampton. Um, highly recommend Roadrunner.
1: Uh, please check out Cut. I also f- totally forgot to mention this in my honorable mentions it would be on there. buzz cut is one of the best songs of the year i love that song so much
0: yes absolutely don't shoot up the party really good too outside of that i'll just run through the other ones quickly the offseason by j cole uh i love j cole and he proves that he is still at the top of his game with uh rapping self-titled by vince staples this is pretty different album for vince staples more vulnerable which i really appreciated uh didn't quite make my top five but definitely worth a listen. Happier Than Ever by Billie Eilish. I love her stuff. Donda by Kanye West. If you asked me like four or five months ago, whenever this came out, um, I would have been surprised that it wasn't on my top five list. But I honestly just didn't return to this album that much. I think it's really good. And I love songs like Okay, Okay and Jail and um, other ones. (laughs) I can't think of the names right now. Moon. Moon with Yeah, Moon with Kid Cudi. But yeah, I just didn't return to it much, maybe because it felt so bloated, but definitely had some high points. And then LP by JPEG Mafia and 30 by Adele, two other standouts for me in this year. With that, I think that's a hearty batch of recommendations for our listeners. Hopefully they've heard a lot of that already, but if not, they have some listening to do.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of on your honorable mentions that I need to... I want to return to that stable sound. I have heard it, but it's been a little bit. And I still need to listen to uh, J. Cole and Billie Eilish and Dell. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. been such a good year for music. And it's been really hard to decide what I'm going to spend my time on, with and what I need to uh, put, on, put on a list to listen to later.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's always a challenge, right? But it's a good problem to have. Mm-hmm. Ryan, I hear that you've released some music <laughs> in 2021.
1: Uh yeah, I'm in uh technically two bands, <laughs> I suppose. Mm-hmm. The first album I released was uh These Are Truly Your Last Days by Violent Graffiti, which is a project uh myself and co-host on You have to hear this my other podcast I do, uh Evan. We decided to make in our dorm room. A lot of it was written last year and then we finished recording it early uh 2021. I'm still super proud of that album. I I return to it semi regularly, and
0: yeah. yeah, Violent Graffiti was your number five most listened artist. It was. I'm
1: so embarrassed by that. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it's the it's the Don Glover thing where it's like you wouldn't call a chef pretentious for eating his own food. No, you wouldn't. But yeah, I do. I'm I'm very proud of that album. And then uh, Beach Tower. We just released a, which is my other band I'm in with, uh, Evan as well. And then, uh, my friends Connor, Johnny, and Kaz, uh, and Joey now, new drummer. Uh, we just released an album right at the tail end of the year. It's called If We Make It to May. We spent pretty much a year writing and recording it, which is really crazy to think about. I'm incredibly proud of that release. Uh, also I've had that on repeat, although I'm a little burned out on it now, so we'll see if it we'll see if it comes back on rotation uh but yeah i'm super happy with the work that we do i'm very proud of uh the the stuff we've been able to put out this year
0: very proud to see what you guys have uh come up with this year definitely was in my heavy rotation felt weird to put it on my top five list but probably would have found itself somewhere there oh (laughs) thank you
1: if it wasn't uh a little bit cheap
0: yeah exactly I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but I think we'll close out with maybe a couple minutes of one of the songs off the new album. Do you have any song in particular that you think would be good to end the podcast on? Oh,
1: God. Um, I think December is a nice way to ease people into what the album is like. My favorite track is I'll Stay, but I wouldn't want to uh, give away the surprise.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because that's the closer. Yeah. So, yeah,
1: December, I think,
0: is... The one awesome so with that you're probably hearing december right now in the background so we can shut up but thank you for listening and hopefully you'll get to hear us talk about movies uh some of our favorite movies of the year sometime soon so with that i'm clayton terry i'm ryan terry and thank you for listening uh
1: don't drink the tap water at jerry garcia's
0: <laughs> what is that a reference to? it's the Gax video game gags video game this is just like three degrees of separation <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing I think about. <laughs>